morning to you. Maranatha, our Lord comes. I hope you've come this morning expecting, eager to hear the Word of God preached. My hope is that when you get up on Sunday mornings, there is absolutely no doubt in your mind that when we gather together here at St. Louis Bible Fellowship, that you know that you're going to hear God's Word preached, both in Sunday school and in the worship service, as we stand firmly on God's Word, and so that you're excited about God's Word. Now, like I said a while ago, after our worship service, we're going to be having our For God So Love the World uh, potluck carry-in dinner, and hoping that you're going to be staying and as we celebrate that, the scripture that comes to mind is John 3.16, of course, right? John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Romans 5.8 tells us that God, but God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John 4.19 tells us that we love him because he first loved us. When you study the scriptures, you realize that the overwhelming theme from Genesis to Revelation is God's love for his creation, for us. His overwhelming desire is for man to be redeemed, to be reconnected to him. That that which was lost in the garden is restored and so that we can have that perfect, perfect relationship. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, yet man continues to reject that love. Man continues to reject that offer of salvation. God's not willing that any should perish. He wants all men to be saved. And to come to the knowledge of the truth. Yet man continues to reject that. And that is the, the greatest love story. The greatest message that the world has ever heard. When you stop and think about it. You know the greatest news broadcast. And we've talked about this. And we'll probably do it on Resurrection Sunday. Is the greatest news broadcast that's ever been heard. Is when the angels announced to the women. He's not here for he is risen. Come see the place where the Lord lay. That's all because of God's love. That was the extreme measure that God had to go to in order that we might have eternal life through Christ Jesus. Yet man rejects. I've been counseling with a couple out in, in Herman over the last several weeks. And uh, just a neat couple. Just neat, neat guy, neat gal. Um, and when I was talking to them about their salvation... Uh, the guy says he's, I you know he, he says well I'm I'm agnostic, I'm I'm an agnostic. And you hear people say that sometimes as if that's a badge of honor, like well I'm really intelligent and my intelligence tells me that I really don't know anything. I can't tell you if there is a God. I can't tell you if there's not a God. I I'm. 
I'm, I'm siding with the intelligentsia to say, I don't know. Now, I've never made sense of that. That's never made sense to me. Why would a man want to reject that story, that amazing love that's offered? He, they say, I, I don't know. I mean, I can understand. I, mean, I really can't understand it, but people say, I'm an atheist. Of course, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. It takes more faith to be an atheist than to believe there's a God and that God loves us and that story, that truth we have contained in the scriptures. But I've never understood why man just continues to reject that other than the fact that he's lost, the curse has been pronounced, and man just is determined to reject that love. But Christ came into the world to save sinners. Amen? He came into his own, and his own received him not. Man rejects. But folks, you need to understand, instead of God's wrath being poured out, and he would have been justified to have done that. The tribulation could have started at that point with the stoning of Stephen. It could, when, when Christ was standing He had descended into heaven. He had sat down at the Father's right hand, indicating rest. Here we have the stoning of Stephen, the spiritual leaders of Israel, rejecting, rejecting God. And we we see Christ standing, indicating judgment. Everywhere in the Scripture, everywhere in the Scripture, where the Lord is standing, without exception, it's always in judgment. Always in judgment. But instead of God's judgment falling, what fell was his amazing grace, was his mercy. And what did he do to indicate that? He saved the chief of sinners. He saved the one who was leading the rebellion, who was breathing out the slaughtering, who was hauling those uh, kingdom believers into prison. He saved the chief of sinners, the one who was leading the persecution. And we're introduced to all that Paul was doing in Acts chapter 8. And then Acts chapter 9, we have that miraculous, miraculous, glorious salvation of this chief of sinners as he was heading up to Damascus to, to haul believers uh, back down to Jerusalem to, uh, to be persecuted. And on the way he, on the road to Damascus, the Lord appears to him and he comes to know Christ. By faith, by God's grace, he has made a new creation. Acts chapter 9, verse 15. But the Lord said unto him, this is talking about Ananias, because Ananias, when the Lord said, Ananias, I want you to get up, I want you to go, and I I want you to bring Paul in, Ananias had heard about Paul. Not not me, not me, I'm not, you you know what, this is paraphrase, you know what that guy's done? And what does the Lord say to him in verse 15? 
But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name among the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. So Paul had a special commission. He was unique in his calling, in his ministry, to be the apostle to the Gentiles. And, but that's the reason, no matter where Paul went, he'd go to the synagogues first, and he would declare to those Jews who had gathered there that Jesus of Nazareth was the Messiah. He was the Christ. But he also had a message to the kings. And that's what I want us to talk about this morning. Is Paul going to, to Rome? in the miraculous voyage that took him to Rome. But look at verse 16 of Acts chapter 9. For I will sh show him how great things he must suffer for my namesake. He's a chosen vessel, and I'm going to show him things that he must suffer for my namesake. Suffer at the hands of whom? the Jews, Israel, and these king, that people that he's being sent to, I'm going to show him things that he would have to suffer. You would think that a man coming to you and saying, Israel, Messiah has come, Gentiles, this salvation is offered to you not based on a covenant relationship but on grace. And kings, I've got great news for you. There is a living God and you would think that the whole world would rejoice over the fact that a Savior has been born, that a Savior has come, that God is, is pouring out His love and His grace to a world that is so lost, but instead, when the, what the Lord tells Ananias is, I'm going to show him things and how he's going to have to suffer for my namesake. Which really really shows the attitude of rejection, the attitude of a lost, broken, and fallen world. Uh, we read a little bit further on. Uh, look at verse 20. Verse 20 of, of Acts chapter 9. And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is this is not this he that destroyed them which called on his name in Jerusalem and came hither for that intent that he might bring them bound to the chief priest? Hey, he hadn't been that long since he had had that on the road to Damascus experience. But Paul increased, verse 22, but Paul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. And you would think that those gathered would have said, yeah, boy, God has shown his love in the fact that he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He loves us so much. What was their attitude? Look at the next verse, 23. And after that, many days were filled. The Jews took counsel just to embrace him, to, to, to express their love and appreciation to him. Is that what the scripture says? And after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. To kill him. 
Yet God still demonstrates his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, when you read this, while mankind was still rejecting, while mankind was still saying, we will not have him to reign over us, while mankind was still going, we don't want anything to do with the true and living God. This makes us so upset that we're going to take measures to kill this man. Has come to teach, show us that mystery, that truth that was hidden God from before the foundation of the world. The one that's come to talk about your grace and your mercy. We're going to kill him. Acts chapter 21. We have Paul going to uh, Jerusalem. Uh, he, he's had his missionary journeys, and during that time, he's collected funds for the poor saints in Jerusalem, for those poor in Jerusalem. Um, if we had time, we'd get into the dispensational uh, significance of that because <laughs> there's a reason they were poor. Remember, they'd sold everything they had and had it in common, and they were not to, take, they were not to give uh, any thought of what they're going to wear and what they're going to eat and where they're going to live. I mean, they, but all of a sudden here they are poor, and so the, church, the churches that were established this present dispensation would have to take up money to take down there. So Paul goes to Jerusalem, and while he's there, James talks, talks him into doing something. And while he's going into the temple uh, with those that are taking a vow and are going to be taking the vow along with them, uh, Paul's arrested. He's arrested. He's not. He, he he's gone into the temple to worship. He's he's there to doing what uh, what it's been requested of him to do, uh, in order to to show his brethren, uh, to show those kingdom believers there uh, that. Uh, uh, that he really had a heart for them. And remember, well, in our Romans class, we're going to be talking when we get to Romans chapter 9, how pa Paul's desire was to see Israel saved, that he wishes himself accursed. He'd do anything to see Israel saved. And when he was with the Jews, he was out of the Jews, with the Gentiles, as the Gentiles. He, he just wanted to make sure they understood who Christ was, and that's something that's going on here. Well, while he's there, he's arrested. He's arrested and treated harshly. And one of the reasons, uh, it, he, after he's, uh, he's arrested and, and he, uh, they, the centurion have to come and they have to rescue him and, and they have to haul him back to uh, enter, enter the jail uh, because they, they think he's, he's someone else and, and he asked to be able to speak to the people and so he starts speaking to them in Hebrew and they go, wait a minute, this is not the guy we thought he was. And so he starts in chapter 22, he starts talking to the folks who are gathered there and he starts sharing his testimony. He, he's given this glorious opportunity to share his testimony of how God met him on the road to Damascus, what God has called him to do, and how wonderful and gracious and marvelous God is. And he starts sharing that with them. In verse 18 of chapter 22, he says, and, and the Lord says to him, Make haste and get thee quickly out of Jerusalem, 
for they will not receive thy testimony concerning me. This is, he's telling them about what happened when he, was, when he was saved. This is about 14 years later from that, maybe a little bit, bit, little bit longer. Verse 21, chapter 22. And he said unto me, Depart, for I will send thee, this is the Lord speaking to Paul, I will send thee far hence, Unto the Gentiles. What was their reaction? And they gave him audience unto this word. Who are they? It's Israel. These are the Jews. They give him audience unto this word and then lifted up their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for it is not fit that we should live. And they cried out and cast off their clothes and threw dust in the air. And by the way, throwing dust in the air and start taking off your clothes, that just meant they were getting ready to do what? Stone him. Stone him. Why were they going to stone him? Because he said, the Lord said he was going to send me to the Gentiles. What? Go to the Gentiles? Why, you, you deserve death, Paul. You deserve death. See, what we need to realize is that God's purpose and plan for Israel was that they be a light unto whom? The Gentiles. God's plan and purpose for Israel is that they be a nation of priests, they be a holy nation, that they be a light, that they go, God called up Israel and he he sent them out in order to be that light into the Gentiles to make sure that here was a, a people whose blessings just overflowed because of their faith in the true God. Their testimony was to be the true God of heaven is Jehovah. Well, what we find they do is they go, mine, mine, and they don't share. Lord, I go into the Gentiles. See, salvation was of the Jews. It was absolutely imperative, essential, that Israel first believe that Christ was their Messiah, that he was the Savior, and that as, those, as Israel uh, was saved and, and repented and, and were baptized and did all and became that nation of priests, that those blessings were to overflow. And then the blessings that overflowed were to fall on the Gentiles, and that was, that was to be an indication of God's blessings. But Israel wouldn't do that. He came into his own. His own received him not. And basically, what did they say? In one of the Christ's parables, he said, we will not have this man reign over us. And that was their attitude. And here, when Paul is facing these Jews, as soon as he said, the Lord said he was going to send me far hence into the Gentiles, they said, uh-uh, that's not going to happen. And so Acts chapter uh, 23 is, is Paul goes and, and he's uh, before you know, the Sanhedrin uh, there. Uh, he has his defense before the Sanhedrin. And they, uh, he's, he sees that the, you have Pharisees and you have Sadducees. And he knew that the Sadducees didn't believe in a resurrection. And the Sadducees didn't believe in angels. The Pharisees believed in a resurrection. And they believed in angels. And God's word says that Paul saw that one part of them were Pharisees, one part of them were Sadducees. And, and he, he tells them that 
The reason I'm here is because you don't believe in the resurrection. And the Pharisees said, oh, but we do. And then all of a sudden the Pharisees are saying, well, he's okay. He's, he's okay. And the Sadducees basically, we've got to get rid of him. We've got to get rid of him. Verse 11 of chapter 23. Uh, well, let's look at verse 6. because Verse 6, and when Paul perceived that the one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, and of the hope of the resurrection of the dead am I called in question. Then they had their big discussion. One side says, we don't find any evil in him. And the other side basically saying, no, let's get rid of him. Verse 11. He'd gotten to the point it was so serious. And the night following, the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must, there, must thou bear witness at Rome. He had declared that Jesus was the Messiah in Jerusalem. And, he, and Jerusalem was, was the capital of Israel. It was the center, the focal point of God raising up the nation of Israel. But what we see is that program coming to a, a, a halt as, as God uh, was blinding Israel, temporarily blinding Israel. Uh, in order for this present dispensation uh, to come in. And, and he said, you're going you're gonna to go and, and you're going to witness to me in Rome. Paul's still in jail. And then there's a plan to kill Paul. They, they so hated him. Why did they hate him? Well, we've already found out they hated him because he wanted to go to the Gentiles why did they hate him? Because he preached the resurrection. And they, that is so terrible. Let's let 40 men get together and let's make a vow that we're going to kill this man because he wants to go to the Gentiles. But that's really what God wanted us to do. But he wants to go to the Gentiles. He's teaching that there is a resurrection. Let's kill him. So 40 men take a vow that they're not going to eat until Paul is killed, until they kill Paul. So they have, this, they have this plan. They have this plot. And God intervenes because Paul's uh, sister's son hears that, goes to Paul, tells Paul, Paul goes to the centurion, centurion says, i got to get you out of here. And so off they rush to go to Caesarea so he can stand before Felix and be judged. And, and to give you an idea how serious the centurion took it, were these 40 guys who, they meant business. Hey, when 40 men say, we're going to kill you, and we're not going to eat anything until you're dead, you take that seriously, okay? They mean business. And evidently, the centurion took it seriously, because he took three score and ten, and Spearman, verse 23, 200, and at the third hour of the night, at 9 p.m., under darkness, he left with 470 armed men escorting this one guy. He was taking it pretty seriously. So he takes him before Felix, Paul is tried before Felix. 
And they come up and tell Felix, we want you to release Paul to us. We want to take him back to, to Jerusalem. Fortunately, Felix didn't do that. Look at verse 21 of chapter 24. As Paul is talking to the council, or, or talking to Felix, Verse 21, except it be for this one voice that I cried standing among them, touching the resurrection of the dead, I am called in question by you this day. Again, it's because I believe in the resurrection that I am called, that I have been arrested, that I am not a free man. Verse 22, when Felix heard these these things, having more perfect knowledge of that way, he deferred them and said, when Lysias, the chief captain, shall come down, I will know the uttermost of your matter. Only one problem. Uh, Felix, verse 25. We'll start with verse 24. And after certain days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, which was a Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. And as he reasoned of righteousness and temperance and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this time. And when I have a more convenient season, I will call for thee. Now God had said, Paul, you're going to bear witness of me before Jews, before Gentiles, and before kings. And to me, that is one of the saddest scriptures throughout the uh, saddest verses throughout the scriptures. I imagine Felix right now in hell, remembering this day as Paul talked to him about temperance, about righteousness, about the judgment to come. And it says that he was convicted. Hey, you don't tremble unless you're convicted. And he said, Paul, go your way. I, when it's more convenient, can you imagine how, how sad it is, how horrible it is, knowing here's an individual who is suffering the hellfire, burning, knowing, quoting that when it's more convenient, when it's more convenient. When, why did I do that when it's more convenient? To me, that is, that is such a sad, sad scripture, especially for the reason Verse 27, but after two years, are you telling me there was not a convenient time in the two years for Felix to call Paul back and say, okay, finish sharing with me about this. After two years, Festus came into Felix's room, and Felix, willing to show the Jews a pleasure, left Paul bound. So Felix was giving up his spot. He was stepping down, not sure exactly where he went, but here... Uh, Festus came into that position and he was told about Paul and he just says I, I want the Jews to like me I want those enemies to like me so I'm just going to leave Paul bound it's two years have gone by and by the way remember those 40 men I don't recommend that diet they they'd either drop that or uh, had lost a lot of weight and were no, no longer. But 
one of the reasons that Paul ends up appealing to Caesar is because Festus is finally going to stand before, uh, Paul is finally going to stand before Festus. And Festus is going to say, look, there, there's no reason for me to have you here. What, why don't you just go back to Jerusalem? Are you willing to do this, Paul? Go back to Jerusalem and answer their, uh, answer to them. And then it, you're innocent. Well, Paul didn't want to go back to Jerusalem. Why? But because there, those men had taken a vow two years before. When they'd taken that vow... Uh, he didn't want to go back to Jerusalem. Plus, what had the Lord told him we just read a while ago? You, uh, you're uh, you're going to go to Rome. And see, God, in, in his infinite knowledge and wisdom, he was going to have Rome pay for it. He was going to have Rome pay for it. It's all expense paid. Paul was wanting to go to Rome. He was wanting to go there anyway. He'd never been there. The churches that had been started there from other believers that had, Paul had gone to some of the other cities and they had branched out and so they were there. He was wanting to go and the Lord said, you're going to go. And so Paul appeals to Caesar. Verse 19 of chapter 25. Festus acknowledged, but had certain questions against him of their own superstition and of one Jesus, which was dead, whom Paul affirmed to be alive. Again, that is more resurrection reason why they were persecuting him. Chapter 26, we have not even, gotten, we have not even gotten to the voyage yet, and that's exciting. Hey, the voyage we're going to look at makes Star Wars and Raiders of the Lost Ark and, and even Lord of the Rings truly boring by comparison. You talk about intrigue. You talk about danger. You talk about miracle. That's what this voyage from Jerusalem to Rome is all about. You talk about the hand of God moving through that entire time. We're going to look at that perilous voyage. C.R. Stam says that, that that voyage depicts the voyage as symbolic of what the church, the body of Christ, experiences. That the church, or the ship is the church, and the sea is that journey that we travel, and the storm are the devices that Satan uses and raises up to destroy and to discourage and, and halt the process of the church. Uh, there's so many of those spiritual spiritual practical lessons it's in in that voyage that we're going to look at but here we have Paul in chapter 26 he stands before King Agrippa Agrippa goes up to meet with Festus Festus is new on that uh, as the governor and King Agrippa leaves Jerusalem, he goes up there to say, hey, welcome, we're glad to have you. And uh, uh, they get to talking about Paul. And so Paul comes and he stands before Agrippa. Now, remember, it's because he'd gone to Jerusalem to help the poor folks there. He got arrested. It's, 
it, what, was, what they were angry about was because he said he was going to go to the Gentiles. And they were angry because he talked about the resurrection. And so this was over two years now. He had been in jail. And he stands before Agrippa with Festus. In chapter 26... Look at verse 24. We'll start with verse 23. Mm, they're all good. Start with verse 19. Tim, verse 19. Yep, see, he already had it up there. Yeah, he knew where I was going. Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision, but showed first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coast of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and do works worthy of repentance. And for these causes the Jews caught me in the temple and went about to kill me. Having therefore obtained help of God, I continue unto this day, witnessing both to small and great, saying none of the things and those which the prophets and Moses did say should come, proving from the Scripture that Christ was to what? Be risen from the dead. The resurrection was true. And he says, that's what he says, that, that uh, the prophets and Moses did say should come, that Christ should suffer, and that he should be the first that should rise from the dead, and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. That's why he was there. And as he thus spoke for himself, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself. Much learning doth make thee mad. Well, we know that the preaching of the cross is to them that perish, what? Foolishness. Boy, and Festus is proving that. And Paul says in verse 25, I'm not mad, most noble, noble Festus, but I speak forth the words of truth and soberness. For the king knows that these things before whom also I speak freely, for I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from him, for this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, believe thou the prophets, I know that you believe. And then Agrippa said unto Paul, and here's some more sad, sad words. Opal wants us to have a, a, a altar call. Second series of sad words. Remember Felix had said, you almost persuade me. Or Felix had said, when it's more convenient. It's, when it's more convenient. Look what Agrippa said. Verse 28, then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Almost you persuade me to be a Christian. I don't know if, if Felix and Agrippa have any contact in hell. But I can just imagine one in one area going, When it's more convenient, when it's more convenient, while he's suffering, the other one going, you almost, almost persuaded me. Almost persuaded me. I, just the horror, the sadness of that. All the time, 
The reason that Paul was in prison is because he was sharing the grace of God, the fact that Christ was risen from the dead, we have hope in him, and man continued to reject. Things are pretty well the same today, you know? Man just insists. Verse 32 of chapter 26. Then said Agrippa unto Festus, This man might have been set at liberty if he had not appealed unto Caesar. Well, yeah, in that, if he hadn't wanted to please the Jews, that kind of entered into it. But he appealed to Caesar. But that was God's plan. That was God's purpose. The miraculous voyage. Here is a trip. As Paul leaves Jerusalem, as he leaves a a country that, a sin-hardened nation, they had rejected the Messiah, they had rejected the kingdom, they had rejected their mission. But they had said, we'll not have this man to reign over us. The spiritual leaders of Israel when given the opportunity, continue to say no, no, no. Continue to reject the fact that Christ was their Messiah. And God had told Paul, I'm going to send you to Rome. You're going to bear witness of me in Rome. So he leaves Jerusalem. He leaves his countrymen to go to Rome as a prisoner of Jesus Christ. You know, Paul never calls himself a prisoner of Rome. He never states that he was a prisoner of Rome. When he talks about the fact he's a prisoner, it's always a prisoner of Jesus Christ because that's who he was serving. Paul gets on board that ship. Acts 27, verse 1. When it was determined that we should sail into Italy, they delivered Paul and certain other prisoners unto one named Julius, a centurion of Augustus' band. And entering into the ship of Adramidacum, we launched, meaning to sail by the coast of Asia, and one Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, came with us, or being with us. And the next day we touched at Sidon, and Julius courteously entreated Paul and gave him liberty to go into his friends to refresh himself. See, even Julius knew this guy's not guilty of anything. Even this Gentile knew that it was of jealousy. He knew it's because of hatred. It's because the Jews just desired to reject the Messiah. Verse 4, and when we had launched from there, we sailed into Cyprus because the winds were contrary. And when we had sailed over the sea of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, the city of Lycia. And there the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing unto Italy, and he put us therein. And when we had sailed slowly many days, and scarce were come over against Indus, the wind not suffering us, we sailed under Crete over against Solbone. And hardly passing it, we came into a place which is called the Fair Haven, nigh unto was the city of Lycia. 
And now when much time was spent and when sailing was slow, was now dangerous because the fast was now already passed, Paul admonished them. Paul is about to tell them, let's don't go any further. Let's stay here. See, Paul understood that this, uh, the feast was over talking about uh, a, a day of atonement and, and that feast about October the 10th. He knew that this was, in that area, hurricane season. And I, I'm sure Paul was just as eager and excited to get to Rome as they were. He's going to he's gonna share the truth with Caesar. And he just tells them, you know what? And they should have listened to Paul. And, and, and if this story is, uh, spiritually, if the principle here is... Um, that ship being the church and, and, uh, and, and all that, that we deal with, uh, the point here is need to listen to Paul. Need to listen to Paul because he is the apostle to the Gentiles. He is the one that Christ spoke directly to and gave the revelation of the mystery to. When I read that, I go, wow, that, how much plainer can it get? Or more plain, I'm not sure. But anyway, it's pretty clear. And Paul says, don't go any further. Verse 10, and he said unto them, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage, not only of the lading and ship, but of our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. See, the lesson here is there was confusion because they didn't listen to Paul and I would speak to the church the body of Christ today that if you want to know what God's marching orders are for the church the body of Christ you have to go to the Pauline epistles to understand that which is written to us it's all for us amen but what is to us is listening to to what Paul says concerning this present mystery this dispensation over and over Paul tells them to be followers of me followers of me But anyway, they don't listen. And boy, do they get into a lot of hurt and a lot of trouble to the point that the ship pretty much is uh, broken up. But everyone lives. Verse 12, And because the haven was not commodious to winter in, the more part advised to depart from there also, if by any means they might attain to Phoenice, and there to winter, which is a haven of Crete, and lieth toward the southwest and northwest. So they wanted to go just a little bit further. And when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they obtained their purpose, they loosed from there and they sailed close by Crete. They were deceived. They were deceived. The weather said, ah, the weather's not so bad. The weather's okay. Let's go ahead. Look, it's, it's kind of nice outside. They didn't have their cell phones. They couldn't check like we did for Wednesday to see that But they set sail. But not long, but not long after there arose against, uh, against it a tempestuous wind called Eroctolon. And when the ship was caught and could not bear up the wind, we let her drive. They were in the middle of a hurricane. And these sailors, they got to the point where they said, we can't do anything else here but to let it go. And running under a certain island, which is called Clauda, 
we had much work to come by the boat, which when they had taken up, they used helps undergirding the ship and fearing lest they should fall into the quicksand, strike sail, and so were driven. By this time, it was pretty, pretty hopeless. And we being exceedingly tossed with a tempest, the next day they lightened the ship. And, and storms of life are going to take a toll. And that's what we're finding out here. And they, he'd already said, you're going to lose the, what your stuff that you're carrying. Our lives are going to be in danger. Ah, no, don't listen to Paul. They should have listened to Paul. Matter of fact, Paul even tells them. Verse 18, and we've been exceedingly tossed with a tempest. The next day, they lighten the ship. And the third day, we cast out with our own hands the tackling of the ship. I'm not a sailor, but I think you need tackling to run the ship. I, I, I never was in the Navy, but that, just that word sounds like an important part of a ship. And what did they do with it? They threw it overboard. And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared and no small tempest lay on us, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. That's when you know it was serious. What does Paul say? Verse 21, but after a long absence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, you should have listened to me. You should have listened to me. Boy, if there's a message to the church, the body of Christ, that's it. You need to listen to Paul. You want to get doctrine straight, you better listen to Paul. You want to know what's coming, you better listen to what God's Word says concerning the last days. It was given to, to the Apostle Paul by the Lord Jesus. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. Yep, that's going to go down. But there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, for thou must be brought before Caesar, and, lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Wherefore, sirs, is Paul talking to those sailors, Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God, that it shall be even as it was told me. Howbeit, we must be cast upon a certain island. But when the fourteenth night was come, and we were driven up and down in Adria, about midnight the shipmen deemed that they drew near to some country, and sounded and found it twenty fathoms, and then they go on a little further, they sounded again and found it fifteen fathom, fathoms. Then fearing lest they should have fallen upon rocks, they cast their anchors out of the stern and wished for the day. Things were serious. And as the shipmen were about to flee out of the ship, when they had let down the boat into the sea under color as though they would have cast anchors out of the foreship, Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, except these abide in the ship, you cannot be saved. Well, they've learned to listen to Paul. Then the soldiers cut off the ropes of the boat and let her fall off. While the day was coming on, Paul besought them all to take meat, saying, This day is the fourteenth day that you have tarried and continued fasting, fasting, having taken nothing. Wherefore, I pray you to take some food, for this is your health, for there shall not a hair fall from the head of any of you. Boy, that was Paul taking the words of God pretty seriously. God has said, I'm going to give you all of them. Nobody's going to die. And when he had thus spoken, 
He took bread and he gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. Then were they all of good cheer. They also took some food. And we were all in the ship, 203 score, 276 people. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and cast out the wheat into the sea. And when it was day, they knew not the land, but they discovered a small creek with a shore, and they pulled into that. Now, folks, we're going to end it there. But that's not, we might even pick back up there next Sunday. But what I want us to realize is this ship was in dangerous waters. That this ship was going down. They were in the middle of a hurricane. This ship and everyone on it, they were in horrible circumstances. And here was God's man doing God's work. Now imagine, imagine if when they had set sail and they had gone straight to Rome and there had been no hurricane, there had been no distress, there had been no difficulty. Do you think these soldiers... Do you think the people on board that ship would have known that Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords? Do you think that they, it's when the rough seas appeared, it's when the difficult time came that they realized that here was God's man trusting God. None of that could have occurred None of that would have happened if they'd have just smooth sailing. See, what made them good, what makes good sailors are rough seas. At least that's what I hear. What makes good sailors, what makes them capable is when the seas are rough. And God allowed that to take place because he had a purpose, he had a plan, and everybody on board that ship witnessed that no matter how difficult the sailing, there is a God in heaven and He controls and He saves. And that's exactly what happened. What was demonstrated on that day is that for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoso believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. I guarantee you it was during that time that Paul bore witness of the salvation and of God's grace and God's mercy to all of those who were on board that ship. And when they saw his faith, when they saw his courage and his trust in a living God, that had an impact. And every one of us, without exception, we go through difficult times. We go through hardships, but to my knowledge, nobody here has ever been arrested. No one's ever been arrested. No one's ever spent any time in jail. No one has ever had the difficulty like Paul had. Anybody ever been shipwrecked? Anybody ever been in the middle of a hurricane? 
That's one of the reasons Faye does not want to do a cruise. She knows that if we were to ever go on a cruise, there's going to be a hurricane. And I just told her, have the faith of Paul and let's go, but don't she won't do it. But what transpired was God presented with an opportunity to show that he's in control, that he loves us, loves us so much, and he desires for us to know his power, his might, his mercy. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning and we come acknowledging what a great God you are. Father, we come acknowledging that you love us and we think of the extreme measure you've gone in order to reconnect us to you, to redeem us. Father, we thank you for the cross. Father, we thank you for what your word teaches about your provision and your direction and your guidance. Father, may we be those mature Christians that desire to search the word and, and these tremendous nuggets of precious gold that's there for us to learn about your caring and about who you are. Father, may we be faithful in our study of your word. Father, may we be soldiers of the cross. May we not be ashamed of the gospel, but boldly, courageously proclaim that truth that Jesus saves. And Father, we come before you this morning. How thankful we are that you commended your love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, while we were still rejecting you, Christ died for us. Father, how thankful that we love you because you first loved us. We thank you for that love. We thank you for how you've shown it. And Father, may we be faithful to serve you each and every day of our lives. Now, Father, I pray this morning if there's anyone here that's never by faith trusted in the complete and finished work of Christ, They've never believed that Christ died for them. They've never believed that he was buried for them. They've never believed that he rose again for them. Father, may this be the moment that by faith they trust. Knowing they can't save themselves, there are no amount of works, there are no amount of effort, there's no amount of deeds that can earn heaven's reward that can earn eternal life. But Father, we're thankful that the perfect Lamb of God has paid that debt that we owed. And if there's anyone here that's never by faith believed in that, may this be the moment that they say, yes, Lord, I believe. And we pray these things in Christ's holy and most precious name. Amen.